0: Good morning, Midland Free. Amen? Amen. Standing on the promises. Praise God. Hey, my name is Jeremy. We're delighted to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, At our church, what we're doing is this. We are finishing up the book of Philippians today. Um, Usually, what I like to do is preach through Bible books, so you know that you're getting God's opinion on your life, not just my opinion on your life, because who cares what I think, but if it's what God thinks, then you probably ought to listen. So welcome here, and let's see what God has to say today. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll get going. Father, we're so thankful uh, for your only son, Jesus, who promises us that he will return, that uh, he will make all things right. And we just pray that his power and his love and his truth and his grace would be at work in us. In his name we pray. Amen. So, just to be clear, your bulletin says a few verses at the end of Philippians. Uh, I'm not going to cover those verses today. That's just the, like, final goodbye. The Apostle Paul is saying, oh, by the way, say hi to so-and-so, say hi to so-and-so, say hi to so-and-so. Duh. But what I'm going to do is sort of summarize the whole book. So when we talk about Philippians, what is its message? What do I want you to leave with from this sermon series? You've seen the identity in Christ thing on the back wall, but today I'm really going to try to tie it all together and put a nice bow on top. We'll see how I do. So for my opening illustration, today I'm going to switch genres often because I have two, uh, my first two children are boys. We're talking about the land of Star Wars and Legos and stuff like that. But then someone said to me, hey, pastor, you know, you talk about Star Wars a lot. And I'm like, oh, okay, don't worry. I can fix that. I got a daughter too. Hold on. You guys ready? Ready? Here we go. This is today's opening illustration. I can do it. I'm not going to turn in my man card, but we're going there. My daughter's four, and this weekend, Friday night, we actually just enjoyed the father-daughter dance. It was great. If you ever need something really funny to cheer you up, just come watch me try to dance. You'll have a wonderful time. But fortunately, all she wanted to do was twirl her dress, so I didn't have to do a lot of dancing. I just sat and ate cake and watched, and it was great. But... This is what happens when you have a little four-year-old today. If she watches any sort of media whatsoever, then inevitably our culture requires that her very favorite movie is Frozen. Exactly right. Even if you're not in this age group right now where you have a little four-year-old, you've probably seen something from the movie Frozen. If you've walked down the aisle at Walmart, you've seen Frozen. If you've walked down the aisle at Meyer, you've seen Frozen. If you've walked through any public place and there's a little girl, you've probably seen Frozen. One way or another, you've seen or heard Frozen. Well, fortunately for us, eventually she's begun to sort of let it go. <laughs> and now we're on to another movie. We're now talking about Uh, another movie with a young lady who has really, really, really long hair. And that movie is Tangled, exactly right. That's why I brought our favorite neatly duct-taped in pink clad Barbie this morning. Don't worry, she duct-taped for decency purposes. But this is Tangled. And the thing about Tangled is, according to Disney... This is a Disney adaptation of the Grimm's Brothers story of Rapunzel. What happens, there's a magical flower, and it's cut, but somehow that super-duper power gets into her, and now her hair has magical healing power, you know, and you can just use this to do whatever you need. So the wicked witch who lives off in the uh, dim, dark forest discovers this and steals the little child away And locks her in a tower and pretends to be a mother. How mean is that? I mean, here is this, you know, little baby. And she's taken away from her mommy and daddy. And she's told by this woman, here is your spot. You live right here and I'll be your mother. Just stay here and don't leave. And this old woman begins to grow younger and learns to exploit this person's power as a result of her selfishness and cruelty but not out of true love for her daughter. So everything that Rapunzel learns is basically a lie. Her mom is saying, this is who you are, this is who I am. Stay here and you'll be happy. Just trust me, believe me. Yet, this whole time, Rapunzel just has this little inkling inside of her that something's just not right about this. I don't know what it is. She treats me fine and I have all the food and water and stuff I need, but... It seems like there's just something more. not sure what it is. But there has to be something more. Throughout the course of the film, you follow and find out what happens to Rapunzel. Well, I'll tell you in a little bit if you haven't seen it already. But I wonder this morning, have you ever felt that way? I mean, I'm not saying you have magical golden hair and you live in a tower. But have you ever had that feeling inside of you like, yeah? There's something more. Like, I feel a bit closed in. Like, this is not it. I know there is something more, but what is it? What is it? The book of Philippians is going to answer that message. And so as we go throughout it today, I'm hoping to show you from the Bible what God says the answer to your identity, your purpose, your meaning, your truer self actually is. We're going to look at that theme today, and that theme, I think, that sums up well the message of the book of Philippians is this, that true identity changes everything. When you discover who you really are, who you were meant to be, it impacts every single area of your life, hands down. You can apply it to anything, it's, it's not specific to any single person, but it Im- influences everything you do at work, everything you do at home, every relationship you have, every goal you set, everything is impacted by your identity. The problem is that most of us today are identifying with things that are not true to ourselves. We say, okay, I work at Dow, or I am an athlete, or I'm a student, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, and this is my identity. But the reality is, There is something that transcends all of those individual tasks. And if you locate yourself in that individual task or assignment, then inevitably at some point it's going to wear out or fall short or leave you flat. And inside you'll be just like Rapunzel saying, man, it's just not doing it. It has to be something more. So the solution then is to rediscover your true identity. And what happens then is after you do... You feel encouraged, you feel strengthened, and regardless of what comes your way, then you're like, yeah, I can do this, not because I'm strong enough, but because Christ, who has laid a hold of me, has guaranteed my future, and therefore, based on what he has told me I am and who I will be, I will believe by faith that he will get me there. So in other words, what happens is your identity in Christ controls your present, which is influenced by your future. Let me show you a slide of that real quick. This is what we're going to do today. This is the sermon structure. We're going to look at the problem of mistaken identity, how we and the people in Philippi and nearly every human being at some point has made the mistake of not knowing who they really are. We're going to look at the solution of finding our true identity in Christ, not in being in Philippi or anywhere else, but being in Christ. And then the application is hopefully just plain encouragement. It's to lift you up and build your spirits and give you motivation and understand how you can do all things without grumbling, how you can pray without ceasing, how you can rejoice always, how you can hold these high commands of Philippians true all the time by identifying with Jesus who gives you strength. Therefore, you can do all things through Christ or in Christ who gives you strength. For those of you who have been with us, you've noticed a few of those things are coming from previous sermons. That's the book. That's Philippians. But if you haven't, just follow along today. And I think even in this short time, we can make the whole thing make sense. So let's start with number one, the problem. The problem of our mistaken identity. And I want to go at it from two different angles. And this is just trying to be biblical and textual. And the two angles are these. In Philippi, at this time... There are two things that are really big to them. One is their citizenship, and the other is their Savior. Now, you're already going to Jesus, but let me stop you there and say it's not Jesus, actually. It's not. Let me, let me explain that in just a second. But the two words I'm going to hone in on are citizenship and Savior. Citizenship, Savior. Citizenship, Savior. Okay? So, here we go. First century Philippi, if you were here with us the first few weeks... You might remember the pictures I put up on the screen of the battlefield where uh, the Roman empires clashed, where you had the Republic versus the Empire, and the Republic was defeated, and the Empire began. And as a result, this colony in Greece became sort of this outpost of the Roman Empire, and Caesar said, Hey, anybody who goes there and is loyal to Rome, I'm going to give them all kinds of crazy benefits. So what ends up happening is, the people who live in Philippi, are all these like retired ex-military types, they're soldiers, they're loyalists, they're patriots, they bleed Rome. When When they live and die, it's all about being Roman. You know, I'm Roman through and through. It's crazy patriotism, beyond anything you've seen here in the United States. I mean, some of the stuff we see is pretty crazy. There's they actually came to a point where they nearly worshipped and, in fact, sometimes did worship their leader. This wasn't just, I pledge allegiance to the flag. This was, I bow down to the throne. Hail Caesar, who is my Savior and Lord. Interestingly enough, if you actually look up the title Savior in the Bible, you don't find it that often. And the reason is, is because most of the New Testament authors somewhat shied away from using it because if they said Savior, if they said Lord, those people would start thinking about Caesar. Oh yeah, we know who our Savior is. It's Caesar. We know who our Lord is. It's Caesar. Caesar's the boss. He's our Lord. He tells us what to do. Caesar's our political ruler. He's our Savior. This is what the people thought back then. When they thought about Saviors, it's a little bit like the Old Testament Jewish people who were like, okay, we're, we're enslaved in Egypt. So what do we need? We need a deliverer. We need a savior. We need someone to come and rescue us out of our bondage and deliver us from our captors into the promised land. Who will be our savior? Yahweh, sovereign Lord God, please send us a savior. And God sends Moses. He's their deliverer. Then they need a captain. They need someone to lead them in and conquer their enemies. And they're like, Lord, who will be our captain? He sends Joshua. And Joshua is their captain. And then they get in there and they're like, boy, we have no idea what to do. We need a king who will be our king. And eventually David comes and he is the king. So God sends these people and in the back of the Jewish mind, and especially at this time, they're thinking Savior, Captain, Deliverer, King. We know who those people are. But Paul's going to take those definitions and totally flip them on their head and say, this is who you thought you were. This is what you thought you identified with. Let me show you who you really actually are. Your allegiances right now are pathetically small and shallow. Let me up them exponentially. This is who you really are. So what we see then is this. Listen carefully. This is how I want to really spell it out. There are going to be two parallel lines. They're going to be exactly the same. When we read this verse, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Initially, Paul takes the concept of citizenship, and he says, you think you're Roman citizens, but you're actually citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And then he does the same thing with the word Savior, and he says, oh, you think Caesar is Savior. You think you serve a political figure. You think there's some mighty army here on earth that can deliver you. No, 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 no. Actually, you're waiting from a Savior from another place. From where? From heaven, who is Savior and Lord and King and God. It's not. It is, it is a doxology. It is an, it's, it's an explanatory statement saying how awesome Jesus is. But it goes beyond that. It's not just that. It's a direct implication for their lives at that time. same thing for you. How loyal are you to your political party? How loyal are you to your country? How loyal are you to whatever? Is that important? Absolutely. But is your political party or country ever going to save you? No. No chance. I don't care. Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever. It can't save you. You can do all the tax breaks or tax increases or policy changes or education or roads Or healthcare, or whatever, and there's still sin. And you will never be delivered from that until you get a real Savior. And that's what you need. So, here the apostle is going to say hey, guys, forget Rome, forget the USA. I love America, but listen, America's not here forever. Here's where your citizenship lies, here's your eternal loyalty. Take that decal off and put a different one on. Here's what we're talking about. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship, although we live here, actually, our citizenship is in heaven. See that? And from it, we await a real Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will not just come in and Tax us so that he can have a greater empire, but instead he will do everything to make everything just right, including transforming our very bodies to be like his. Hallelujah, right? I should be jumping up and down now. I'm not going to hurt anymore. I'm not going to sin anymore. <laughs> I'm going to be perfect. Can I say that? Yes, not because I'm there. It's like the apostle says, it's not that I've already been perfected, but I look forward to this great day when the king will return and I will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye by the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. This power is at work in me. That's what I need. There's my hope. Man, if I think that my president's going to save me, if I think that my political party's going to save me, if I think that my basketball team or my retirement account or my performance at work or my anything's going to save me, man, am I mistaken. Wow. My true identity is not in who I am or what I can do or what anyone else has told me about myself. My identity is in Christ. Therefore, my citizenship is really in heaven. If that is the case, wow, listen to the implications, church. If your citizenship is actually in heaven and that's where you really belong, you're not locked in this little tower of whatever our lives are right now. Instead, you're free. Pursue the light and follow after the king. So, for the Philippians, what this meant was they're going to stand up and say, hey, um, by the way, Jesus is Savior and Lord. (laughs) How do you think Caesar and the Roman loyalists are going to feel about that? Uh, Hold on, (laughs) what did you just say? Excuse me? I'm going to challenge you young kids in your schools, you're going to have to stand up and say, hey, Jesus is Savior and Lord. And I don't think your teachers and your friends and your peers are going to think that's really cool. And it may not be so cool for you at work either. And then you're going to get persecuted. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, they hated me. (laughs) How do you think they're going to feel about you? If you get it right, they won't like you. Jesus either draws people to him or pushes them away, but there's really no in-between. You're either for him or against him, one side or the other, and you will find out very quick as soon as you start talking about him what will happen. These people did, and they're in a society where they can be literally thrown to lions. You may not be literally thrown to lions, but you will experience something. And what happens then is you begin to scratch your head and say, Whoa, I'm being persecuted. Uh, What's happening here? But your citizenship in heaven, the return of your king, your eternal promises, says to you that no matter how much you're persecuted, no matter how much you suffer, no matter how much you have to go through, you are not forsaken, you are not forgotten, you are not condemned God will remember you. You are not alone in the halls of Midland High or Dow or Dow DuPont or whatever it's called now, wherever you're at. You're not alone. You have a high calling, a greater destiny, an eternal purpose, a true identity, so that whatever comes your way, whether it is plenty or being in need, Suffering and defeat or success, whatever it is, you can be assured that your king will get you through and therefore you can do all things through him, all including even the bad stuff by him who gives you strength. So press on. Press on. Why? Because we have a savior, a savior, a savior, a real one. Not anything else that you see on TV. Not some silly superhero who can throw cars and smash them into buildings. But a Savior who dies on the cross and raises from the grave, ascends into heaven, and is coming back here to rule forevermore. He is the one who Philippians 3.21 says has the power to subject all things to himself. Not just pitiful itty bitty tiny little Roman world of Europe northern Africa and part of the Middle East not just the North American continent and wherever else we export our culture to but every single place everywhere that human beings have imagined thought or didn't even know existed Jesus rules over these and he has the power to make every single one of them submit to him This is the one we're looking for. You know, Moses was great, but you're not waiting for Moses. Joshua was amazing, but you're not waiting for Joshua. David, he was quite the king, but you are not awaiting the return of King David. Instead, you're awaiting the King of kings and Lord of lords. To whom every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that he is Lord. Oh man, that changes things, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine? If I if I promised you, hey, here's a winning lottery ticket, just put it in your pocket, you can't cash it till next week. Next week. Not this week, next week. How would that change your behavior? I think it would change your behavior even this week. Maybe some of you would be so disciplined and say, Nope, a bird in hand's better than two in the tree, and I'm not going to spend any of this yet. Well, I bet you a bunch of us, if you knew that that was a guaranteed payout in the next week, would start spending today. <laughs> I mean, there's some bills, right? You got to get a few things fixed. Let's take care of this. Boom. I'm telling you this is the way your identity should impact you. Jesus said I'm coming back. Yeah, your time, you know, you don't know the day, you don't know the hour and my time's not your time, but I'm coming back and that should impact you this very day. Spend it, man. For real. When you do what you do is you change and you become like Paul and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, wait. Everything I thought I had, Philippians 3:7. I just realized um, it's really not worth that much. Not compared to winning lottery ticket. Not compared to eternity in heaven. And everything I thought I previously had, my old favorite couch, my pair of jeans, my car, whatever, my house, bah, I count them as loss. Scubula, dung, rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. I detach from it. Philippians 3, 8, 10-12 says... Indeed, I count all of that stuff, everything a loss. For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I suffered, Paul has suffered the loss of all things and counts them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of his own, but instead one that comes not from the law, but that which comes from, Through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. When you get that perspective, when you just start to get there, what happens is this. You go to the negotiation table or you go to the discussion or you go into the conflict not worried about, oh boy, I could lose, but thinking, hey, you know what, I've already won. (laughs) Regardless of what happens here today, one way or the other, gain or lose, I'm okay. Because Jesus is coming back, so I'm completely emotionally detached. (laughs) What are you going to do? Feed me to the lions? (laughs) What are you going to do, cut me in two? What are you going to do, fire me? What are you going to do, take my home away? Big deal. (laughs) Now, it's easy for me to say, stand up here, and I agree. As soon as I go down there, it's not so easy. But that's where we're trying to get. We're trying to get into our true identity that says, hey, when this happens, we take up with the heroes of the faith and say, like Joseph, hey, whatever comes my way, whatever comes my way, I can do all things through Christ. So even though my brothers may sell me into slavery, and they mean it for evil, God uses it for good. And Jesus can go to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, hey, not my will, but yours. I'd really like it if you take this cup away, but not my will, by, but yours. And what Satan meant for evil, God uses for good. And we can watch the Apostle Paul, who Satan thinks he's finally got trapped. He's sending him to Rome for his execution. He's in the jail cell, and he's getting to send this letter to the people in Philippi, and we're hearing about it today. And all of a sudden, the gospel that was meant to be confined to this little spot and ended at that point in time is exploding. <laughs> and we say, Wow. What Satan meant for evil, God used for good. You watch the pages of history and the pages of the Bible, whether it's John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress or Martyrs in a Nazi prison, it doesn't matter. All over the world, what Satan uses for evil, God uses for good. You see that? You say, whoa, these things in my path that I thought were supposed to trip me are now propelling me to become closer to Christ and more like Him. Roadblocks become stepping stones and the gospel goes forth. Thank you, Lord, for that thorn in the flesh. Thank you, God, for that relationship that's so difficult. Thank you, God, for that job that just isn't what I thought it would be. Thank you, God, for that school. Thank you, God, for that class. Thank you, God, for that financial hardship. Thank you, God, because that very thing that I would have never asked for, you can use it for good. When you begin to identify with Jesus, when you discover your true identity, when you locate yourself in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then you say, wow, because of Jesus. Two microphones down front, right? Because of Jesus. Anything. Because of Jesus, there is this power to subject all things to himself. My greatest struggles... My biggest needs are subjected to Him. Because of Jesus, whose grace is sufficient, it just doesn't matter. I know that I can do all things through Him who gives me strength because His grace is sufficient. Even when I'm not, He is. Because of Jesus, Philippians 2, 12 and 14 say, Therefore, I will press on because of Jesus. See, the problem is our mistaken identity. We identify with everything else. The solution is to find our true identity, to identify ourselves in Christ. And then the outcome or the result is incredible encouragement because whatever comes my way, I know I can say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because of Jesus. I don't have to stay locked in the tower. (laughs) I can get out. And follow the light. I hope, as a result of this sermon series, Philippians, that you've at least been encouraged just a little bit. And actually, I hope you've been encouraged a lot. And maybe, just maybe, at the end of today, you can go back and reread this book. You can reread it over and over again, and you can see things that you've never seen and be encouraged in ways that you never would have been. Understanding what Paul was going through, what the Philippians are going through, and then having the Holy Spirit of God speaking specifically to whatever it is that you're going through. I can't do that for you this morning. I could come up with a system and say, yeah, if you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, it'll work. And that'll apply to this one person. (laughs) And then another person needs something totally different. But the reality is, the nice thing is, you got a personal trainer built inside of you. Because of your relationship with Christ and because He is one with the Father and they're one with the Spirit, the Spirit's in you. And that DNA is there and you draw on it every time you go into the Word. You get in Scripture and you call on Him and you call down those promises and you believe that you can stand because of Jesus. Don't stay locked in the tower. There's something more, I promise. It's calling to you. Despite whatever the imposter tells you, you have a greater identity, a truer calling, a greater story in Jesus Christ. I think we left Rapunzel locked in the tower. Does anybody want to know what happens? The rest of the story is this. Every year after her abduction... Her parents send out these luminaries, these little candles up in kite sort of things that fly throughout the sky, and she sees them from the tower. And she just wants to go see them. So eventually, she finds a way to sneak out and follow these lights, and she discovers that actually she is the only daughter of the king and queen. When she discovers it, her identity completely changes. Eventually she gets back to her mom and dad and she's given a crown and she meets her prince and they get married and they live happily ever after. Exactly right. You got it. That's how all the fairy tales go, right? Is life a fairy tale? I don't know. And what I mean is this. This fairy tale, it's totally made up. There's no such thing, okay, sorry. There's no such thing as magical hair, fairy godmothers, and glad slippers. Those don't exist. They're not real. They're fake. They're pretend. However, even though the events and the characters are made up and pretend, The story and theme is real. And what I mean is this. The artificial story points to the genuine truth. The artificial story points to the genuine truth that there is a greater identity, that there is a better future, that there is a perfect kingdom in the world to come. Ours is no fairy tale. But there is a happily ever after. This is the message of the gospel, not of Grimm's. And the gospel says the good news of salvation is this, that through the death and resurrection and power of Jesus, we get ultimate and eternal victory. To the praise of God and His glory forever and ever. Amen. That victory is so sure and so complete and so guaranteed. That when you start to get there, when you even get an inkling of that, then all of a sudden it changes your entire destiny. Who do you think you are? You are sons and daughters of the King. Act like it. Live for him. Don't let Mother Gothel or your culture or whoever tell you any different. Your identity is in Jesus. You feel like there's something more? Feel trapped? There is a truer you, a better future, a perfect world, a kingdom come. And when your chief shepherd appears, guess what you get? Crown. The unfading crown of glory. It's not like Rapunzel's. It's a lot better than that. Instead, this one, 2 Timothy tells us, is a crown of righteousness, perfection, forgiveness of sins, and not just the forgiveness, but the fix. I don't want to be just forgiven. I want to be fixed. So I'm forgiven, that's one thing, but that means I'm still broke. I don't want to be broken. I want to be better. I want the crown of righteousness that heals all my wrongs in a way that some silly political savior never could. This is my happily ever after. and It's not based on my citizenship here on earth, but instead, Philippians tells us, This is where we get it. This is our hope. This is who I am. I am a citizen, Philippians 3.20, of heaven. And from it, I await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you for our citizenship in heaven. God, let me never forget that. Don't let me get wrapped up in March Madness or basketball games or bills or anything else. But drive me to my knees to meet my God. Deliver me from evil. Give me my daily bread, but help me to trust you for the next and the next and the next day after that. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.